Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. You guys ready to dive in the Word? All right, I like that. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Nobody's a Nobody, and we've really heard some fantastic preaching from some of our pastoral staff. Pastor Sam started us off by teaching us that in the kingdom of God, everybody's a somebody, right? Nobody's a nobody, and nobody gets to just sit here and be anonymous or invisible because God has a plan for each and every one of us. And he taught us that we need to serve, right? We need to start where there is a need. And don't just wait before you serve until you find that perfect spot that fits your unique gift, but just start somewhere, and then through that process, you start to find your gift, and God will guide you in that. So that was a great message. And then last week, Pastor Billy, our adult discipleship pastor, just brought a phenomenal word telling us that we need to go, right? That being a, a Christ follower is not about coming to church and sitting on a nice seat and getting fed and getting fat and getting fatter and getting fatter, but no, we are called to go into our communities and into our world and be salt and light in the world. It was a great message. And today, we're going to finish up the series on a message that talks about what it means to be a Christian who's all in. Everybody say, all in. in. We're not going to talk today about being a little bit in or halfway in, but we're going to talk about being all in. And really what we're going to find in the scriptures today is that being a Christ follower requires a commitment to obedience. But... Before we dive in, I feel it necessary to address something. There is a lie in our culture. And every day, we live in a world that lies to us from every angle. Did you know that? You don't have to answer because I haven't told you what it is yet, but you do. And I'm not trying to be dramatic to to make my point even bigger. the, The truth is, we live in a world that lies to us every day. And it's important to know when you're being lied to. If I was being lied to, it, I'd really appreciate it if you told me. And that's what I want to do for you today. The lie, you may be asking, what is the lie of our culture? It's this. It's the first thing in your notes. That moderation is greater than extremes. Our culture says that moderation is greater than extremes. I'm here to tell you that that's a lie. They say that too much of anything is dangerous. Let's not be extreme about anything. Let's not be closed-minded and focused on anything. Let's, let's have just a little bit of everything, and then you'll have a healthy life, a balanced life, right? And I'm not just making this up. It's not my opinion. I actually have friends who believe this word for word, and they've told me. So I have a friend whose name is Matt as well, and one day I went over to his house to do some recording, and I was sitting in his studio, and on the wall were all these pictures, not pictures, uh, framed quotes from all of the different world religions. So he had one from Confucius on this wall, and then he had one from from Islam, one from Muhammad, one from Judaism, one from a New Age guy on PBS, and all these different things. And I'm I'm sitting there looking at them like, dude, I'm just trying to figure out what what do you believe, man? Because you're like, this is all over the map. And this is what he said. He said, so here's the deal. I just like to pick my favorite parts of all, all the religions, and then just create my own beliefs. Because why would I want to do the stuff that I don't like or the stuff that's hard? And I don't want to be extreme and just be like focused totally on just one because, I mean, there's other good stuff in other religions too. So let's have some moderation. And I just like to pick the stuff I like, ignore the other stuff. Now I have another friend named Jake, and Jake is Jewish. One day we were talking about religion, and, and he said to me, Matt, I'll give you this. Um, 
I believe that Jesus existed, okay? I'll give you that. I think he did exist. And I believe that he was a great teacher and a great prophet. Like, he did great things in the world. So, I mean, that's nice, right? I'm giving you that. But I don't believe that he was the son of God. Because that crosses the line. That's just extremism, right? I mean, let's have a little bit of moderation here. I'm I'm trying to find some common ground. It sounded really nice. But the reality is that belief requires just a little bit more thought. Because when you think about it, if, if Jesus taught and prophesied that he was the Son of God, then how can you believe that he was a great teacher and prophet while not believing what he taught and prophesied? So if you just apply a little bit of thought and a little bit of logic to your moderate belief, it kind of begins to crumble under itself. And when it comes to Christianity... Our culture says the same thing. They say that we should be moderate. Y'all need to chill out, man. We're uncomfortable with this extreme Jesus stuff. Please be moderate. And they'll even say, we, should, we advise you that you should just keep God on a cart like this and keep it tucked away. And then maybe like once a month, you can wheel it out and go to church. At most, though. At most, once a month. Because... We know that when you're at church, they're probably going to talk about Jesus, and Jesus taught some extreme things, and that makes us uncomfortable. So even once a month is a little bit on the line, but let's have some moderation. Okay, so definitely don't go to church four times a month. That's crazy. Definitely don't pray every day, and don't read the Bible. That's extreme. That's what our culture says. And they tell us to put God on a cart. Now, I know that this is a backpack, But it's, for our purposes today, going to represent God. And I'll explain why in a minute. I know that makes no sense to you right now. But in a minute, it will. This is God, and our culture says, put that God on a cart, and you can only wheel him out once a month. Moderation seems nice at first. It seems loving. But you know what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3? He said, I know your deeds, church. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said. In other words, Jesus says, you need to follow me in an extreme way. You need to be all in. And that sounds very different from what our culture says, right? Being a Christ follower requires a commitment to obedience, hot or cold. No in the middle, no moderation, a commitment to obedience. And so this morning, let's open the scriptures and let's find out what God says about this. This isn't just my opinion. Let's find out what it means to be all in. How do I actually do that? If, if you, what you say is right and I'm living in a world that's lying to me every day and saying, don't be all in, have a little bit of everything, don't be extreme, what do I do? Great question. Open your Bibles to uh, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6. This is in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 6. And as you're opening there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context to what's happening. You guys ready? Say, I'm ready. So, there's this guy named David. And David had just become king of the nation of Israel. 
Now, David, still to this day, is considered one of the greatest kings that Israel has ever had. He was the man. And he just became king. He just won a couple battles. He's on a roll. And he realizes, you know what? We really need God's presence in, our, in my kingdom. So we are going to go get the ark of God. Now, the ark of God is a really fancy war- term that really means there's this box that has beautiful decorations. It's ornate and expensive and, and beautiful, and it carries the presence of God. And wherever that ark goes, wherever that box goes, the presence of God is there. And so David, being a great king, realized, man, this is a heavy burden to be king. We need to have God's presence. And right now, it's not in Jerusalem. It's at this other dude's house, so let's all go get it. And so... Again, this is not an ornate or beautiful box, but it's a backpack. And again, you're going to find out in a second. This represents the ark of God. This represents the presence of God. And so David is on his way to get this. Let's leave it right here. So we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3. And I need you to pay attention to the very first sentence. It says, They set the ark of God on a new cart. Very important that you remember that. They set it on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it, okay? So they're, they're guiding it. They're bringing it back to Jerusalem, okay? Just like this. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, and they were playing all these fancy instruments. Verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. That's all he did. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. He died there. I don't know about you, but doesn't that seem extreme to anybody else? Like, why would God punish Uzzah with death, no less, for what seems to be pretty harmless action? I heard an answer. I heard an answer. Hold on, wait. <laughs> and I, wanna, I just want to encourage you that sometimes when you read the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, it's okay sometimes to go, what? Seriously? Because the Bible can stand up to even the greatest scrutiny. So it's okay to question because there are answers. And that's a good question. Why would God do this? Well, the background to the story that I didn't tell you is that God had given very clear instructions in the book of Exodus and in the book of Numbers that the ark was to be carried on their shoulders and it was not to be touched. He was very clear about that. Which brings us to our first point. When it comes to being all in, to following God, there are no compromises. There just aren't. And that is the opposite of what our world says, right? We love to compromise in our world, but God says no compromises. Here's why. You might think that the mistake that was made was Uzzah touching this thing, and, and obviously he died, so that was a mistake. But really, the first mistake was made by David, who allowed the presence of God to be put on a cart. Why? Because it's supposed to be carried, and why would he do that? Because it's easier to put it on a cart. And it's not such an extreme way to travel. 
So you can see David's logic where he said, okay, we need to get the ark from Abinadab's house all the way back to Jerusalem. Man, that's a long way. And I know God tells us that we're supposed to carry it. Man, that's a bummer. And, you know, we have this new technology called a cart. We just put it on there and the oxen will carry it. And that's, let's have some moderation here. Let's not be so extreme, right? That's going to be heavy and it's hot out and I don't want to. So let's just put it on a cart. And this was a costly lesson to learn that God's presence is to be carried on our shoulders. And this right here, this is a heavy responsibility. That's a costly lesson to learn. God is not to be a small part of our lives, something that we just wheel off and hide in the closet for three weeks out of the month, but he is to be the centerpiece of our life. Now, as worshipers, it's easy for us, people of prayer, we all carry the responsibility of God's presence in our own lives, personally, each and every one of us, okay? Each of us do, but as worshipers and people of prayer, sometimes it's just easier, just like David, to say, you know what, I'm just gonna roll in uh, the pastor cart. Let me just put the pastor card here, because I really don't want to carry my own responsibility. Um, and, and we start to justify and say, like, okay, so I know we're supposed to pray, but um, it's kind of extreme in our culture for people to pray. And that's kind of weird. People think I'm weird, and so I don't feel comfortable. I need to have a little bit more moderation. But pastor, go ahead, man. Pray. Pray for me. Pray for my sick, my sick son, or pray for my marriage. I really need some prayer right now. So go ahead, pastor. Pray for the food. It's an honor, right? And I'm not saying it's bad for pastors or anybody to pray with you. That's not what I'm saying. It's important to, to intercede for each other. But ultimately, this can't be put on the cart. It's on your shoulders. Or sometimes we'll, put, we'll pull in the, um, the Sunday worship cart, right? So once a month, we decided we should probably go to church and... Uh, it's Sunday, and it's time for worship, and Pastor Jake's leading us, and it's pretty cool, and, um, but it's a little bit too extreme for me to sing uh, or, like, kneel, or I'm definitely not going to lift my hands to God. That's extreme, right? This is extreme. So why don't um, I just let the worship team worship in my place while I attend, right? At least I'm here. So, so go ahead, worship team. You guys sound great. Worship for me. Tell God how much I love him for me. And you guys look really passionate too, and I support your passion. That's awesome. But it's a little too extreme for me. You know what? Instead, God says we are called to bear the responsibility to carry his presence ourselves. Each and every one of us as people of prayer, as people of worship, Paul said, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. You can't have a, a pastor take care of your relationship with God for you. You can't have mommy and daddy do it for you. And you can't have your friends do it for you. It's only between you and Jesus. That's all that matters. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. Nobody else. You can't have a priest do it. You can't put your relationship with God on a cart and expect other people to carry it for you. You have to be all in. Now check this out. Jesus even went one beyond that. He said, the most important commandment 
is this. And whenever Jesus said this is the most important thing ever, we all should pay attention. He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everybody say all. You know what's so awesome about that baptism? When he said, are you going to make Jesus your Lord and Savior? She said, with all my heart. She got it. She's all in. And she went all in. There's a great metaphor there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How many know that this is an extreme statement? There is no moderation in this. You cannot do this halfway. It is impossible. Jesus didn't say, love the Lord your God with half your heart, with a quarter of your mind, and an eighth of your soul, and three quarters of your strength. He didn't say that. He said, I want it all. I want it all. You have to be all in. And so what we learn here is that there is no compromising or taking the easy way out when it comes to following God. We are all personally responsible to carry our relationship with God. It's nobody else's job but ours. Which brings me to the next point that we learn from this story from David and Uzzah, which is something that many of us don't want to hear. And it's this, that that as people of the kingdom of God who have Jesus on our chest, we have influence. You have influence. Here's why. David, being king, had great influence. In the Bible it says before David was King Saul, and Saul had his thousands, but David had his tens of thousands. All these tens of thousands of men were following David, and he wasn't even king yet. He just had a ton of influence. He was very influential. And then he became king, and it went even even higher. And when David, the man of influence, compromised God's command to carry the ark, then he created a negative influence on his followers, like Uzzah. Uzzah was watching David's compromise, and then shortly thereafter made a huge mistake. Right? One after the other. It's possible that he thought, you know, if David's not all in, then why should I be? And this time, unfortunately, it was a deadly mistake. He died. He paid with his life. And we know that the ark had been at Abinadab's house, which was also Uzzah's house because Uzzah was the son and had been there for a while, and so Uzzah was around the presence of God for a long time. It was in his house. And so every time he woke up, there it was. Every time he had meals, it was there. He went to bed, it was there. He was always around God's presence, around the ark. And maybe he just got too comfortable with it because the Bible said that he was irreverent. Very similar to those of us, just like me, who've been in church for years and years and years, right? It's easy to become comfortable and, and irreverent. It's like, I've been here forever, man. We're just going through the motions, right? Maybe he thought that the rules didn't apply to him anymore. And plus, it doesn't help that David, the man of influence, was cutting corners too, right? David had influence and he was blowing it. Maybe Uzzah thought, well, look at David. It's no big deal. God's gonna understand if I'm not all in. God will understand if I'm, I'm not fully committed to him. Have you ever said that? Has that thought ever came to you? God will understand. God and I have an agreement. 
Plus, I just like to pick the favorite parts of, of God's commands and then ignore the ones I don't like. Similarly, you know what? It's easy for us to roll in what I call the grace cart. We roll in the grace cart because we don't really want to be responsible for carrying it, for carrying grace. And we say stuff um, like, you know, God is, is loving and, and he's gracious, so I guess I should be able to do whatever I want, right? I can get away with it and God has to give me grace. And so we just roll in the grace cart. So I just, yeah, I sinned a bunch, but God's going to give me grace, right? And, and we even go as far to say, you know what, because his love endures forever and, and his grace is sufficient for me. And I stand on his word that says his mercies are new every morning so I could do whatever I want. And every morning I get forgiven. And you know what we do? We quote scripture to justify our sin. And that is a dangerous place to be. Can I just warn you? Say, don't do that. That is a a moderate, that's the the symptom of of a world that has fallen into this lie of moderation. God's word is God's word. Don't use it to justify your sin. And so, because we do that, because we roll in the grace cart, we do things like sleep around with Jesus on our head. And we steal from our, our job. I'll have grace. Or we gossip about our friends. It's no big deal. God will forgive me. Or we have abortions because it's too inconvenient to raise a kid. God will forgive me. Like David, you know what? We don't think that our compromise will affect anybody else. But let me just tell you, it does. Your sin may be private, but it's never personal. It always has effect on people around you. You have influence. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's fair or not, you do. I do. As Christ followers, we carry the responsibility of obeying God's commands. And we will be held accountable for our actions. Right here. And those two words, obedience and accountability, are two words that our culture hates. We hate them. Those are just negative words to us. It's like, that's like the plague. Keep that obedience away from me. Keep that accountability. And we see it all the time, right? Somebody goes and shoots up a theater, and then they're like, well, I guess it was his parents' fault. There's no accountability. We're all going like, what are you talking about? He needs to be the dude who's accountable for that. But our culture's like, well, let's consider everybody else who might be to blame, Right? This is, that's the opposite of Scripture. Scripture says we are accountable for our actions and we are responsible for obedience. Paul said Roman, in Romans 6.1, he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Right, because we all like grace and, and it seems like when I sin, God gives me grace and so I want more grace, so I guess I should sin more. And he says, by no means, that's just horrible logic. Stop, stop, don't think like that. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Church, listen to me. Grace is not a reason to pick the rules that we like and ignore the rules that we don't like. Amen? Amen. It's a reason to be thankful. It's a reason to submit ourselves even more 
to God's commands because of his grace, because he loves us. This isn't like a, um, either you're in or you're out, guys. This is, there's so much grace in this situation for people who are all in. Let me tell you right now, Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. That's why we preach even the hard words of the Bible. And, and our world is trying to get into a place right now where they'll make it illegal for us to preach the stuff, that stuff that's in the Bible so that I would go to jail if I preached some of this stuff. That's what the world is trying to do. But we love you so much much that we're willing to risk that so that you can have the truth, so that you can be set free, not so that you can be weighed down by this heavy burden, but so you can be forgiven and set free. Grace is a reason to be all in. It's probably the best reason there is. Grace is a reason to be all in. Let me ask you this question. What would have happened to Uzzah if David didn't compromise. If David would have owned his responsibility, what would have happened to Uzzah? Would he still be alive? Because David has influence. What if Uzzah would have taken his own responsibility for his own actions and not touched the ark? Because he knew the rules too. Would he still be alive? We have influence. And you know what? People are watching us. They want to see if we're all in or not. Even though they say they don't like extremes and that they prefer moderation, the reality is they want something in their life that's worth dying for, something that's worth being extreme about because we are all created like that. We're wired up to live like that. They want that too because moderation looks really nice on the surface, but you know what? It just leaves people empty at the end of the day. People want to be all in, but they just haven't found a cause worthy of being all in yet. They're just looking around, doing a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything, and all it does is make them empty. They're looking for something to be all in for, but they haven't found it yet. And the truth is, this is the good news, that Jesus is worthy of being all in for. Amen? He is worthy of sacrificing for and even dying for. That's what we worship. That's the truth that we have. We have the answer that the whole world is looking for. But if we're not all in, then why should they be? It's a fair question. Our nation has lost the fear of God. And when I say our nation, I don't just mean our government and our lawmakers. I mean that you and I, we've lost the fear of God in this nation. Just like how Uzzah was irreverent and casual with God's commands, we have become apathetic towards God. It's like, whatever, I can sleep around, whatever, I can cheat on my taxes, no big deal. I can get away with it, God forgive me, even though that's not what the Bible says at all. We are just like Uzzah. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12, fear God. Everyone say, fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. 
This is our job, each and every one of us, to fear God and keep his commandments. So if there's ever any question about, can I choose the ones I want and not do the other ones? No, this is everybody's duty. Can I put it on the pastor? Can I put it on my mom? No, it's everybody's duty. All mankind's duty is to fear God and keep his commandments. I love this next one, Luke 150. This is Mary. Well, she just found out that she's going to give birth to the Savior, and she says this, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And I love that. It's just like such a great definition of the fear of God because it really has everything to do with mercy. So many times we have a, a misinformed definition of the fear of God. We think, okay, well, I, th- I heard that God is supposed to be loving, but then you're telling me that I need to fear him. And somebody who's feared is probably really angry and mad and mean and like a dictator, but that doesn't sound like a loving father, so why would I want to follow somebody who I should fear, right? That's kind of how we think about it, but Mary just nails it right here. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. God is a loving father, but you know what? At the same time, not separate from that, he is holy and sovereign. At the same time, being a a loving father. And sin cannot exist in the presence of of holiness and pureness. It cannot happen. Look at this next one. Proverbs 8.13 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. To hate evil. And we fear God not because we think that he's gonna throw lightning bolts at us, but because we love him because he's given us mercy. His mercy extends to the generation. We hate evil. We wanna get away from it. We want nothing to do with it. We don't want to tolerate it, which is what our our culture says to do. We want to get rid of it. We want to be with Jesus, right? And so the fear of the Lord really is an understanding of a God who loves you so much. And he said, all my people are sinful and evil and dirty because of that sin, and they can't be in my presence because I'm holy and I'm pure. So what am I going to do? I'm going to send my son, who's done nothing wrong, to go to the cross for them, and his blood will be shed, not theirs. And because the blood of the lamb is shed, the Bible says we will be washed white as snow. We will be made pure and holy. Why? So that we can be in the presence of God. And sin won't separate us from God anymore, but we can be run with our Father and we be his children. It's the most beautiful thing. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. His mercy extends to those who fear him. That's good news right there. I, I, that was a good place for an amen. If you wanted to give one, that was good. All right. We, listen, we have influence, church. We have influence. And there's no compromising when it comes to hating evil. We need to rise up. Jesus called us to be the salt and light in a dark place. We are the light of Jesus Christ in this dark world. We need to rise up and we need to say no to evil and stop hiding behind false definitions of love by supporting evil things with hashtags on our Facebook like love wins while the world that we are responsible for sinks further and further into evil we think we're helping but we're not we're just creating more problems the fear of the Lord is to hate evil God says love what I love and hate what I hate don't have moderation be extreme about it 
So really, to summarize all that I just said there is that all in equals a commitment to obedience. It's so countercultural. It's so countercultural. That's why it's so hard. And praise the Lord for his grace, right? And just like I love how Jake was saying in the offering, he's saying, listen, this is just as hard for me as it is for you. And I echo that. It is just as hard for me to be all in sometimes as it is for anybody else. We have to be committed to obedience. Now listen to this. Being all in is not an indicator of perfection. I need you to hear that. Being all in is not an indicator of perfection. It's simply a commitment to obedience. You may think that I'm saying if you're not perfect, then you're not welcome here. So all the perfect people can stay and all the imperfect people, please don't come back. I'm not saying that. Nothing is further from the truth. In fact, if you've ever heard a church or a pastor say that, they're wrong. I'm just going to flat out say, they're wrong. That is not in the Bible. Nobody in here is perfect. Around the world, nobody is perfect. I'm not perfect. And even people with the best intentions fall short from time to time. Let's just be honest. It's hard sometimes to keep all of God's commandments. That's why Jesus came, right? Because he loves us. But according to Scripture, you must be committed to grow in obedience. Everyone say grow. grow. That's the key. You must be committed to grow in obedience while God supplies grace for your shortcomings. That's so important. So this is what it looks like. We, we, maybe we get saved early and, and, and we're saying, okay, I'm going to be committed to grow in obedience. So I'm going to start to obey his commands and I'm growing and I'm doing it. It's hard. It's hard. And oops, I failed and I sinned. I messed up. Well, God supplies grace. Praise God. And then, but then you don't quit because you feel so bad about yourself and you can never, never accomplish this. You keep growing, keep growing, and I'm doing a little bit better, but it's super, super hard, and I failed. Oops, and God supplies grace. But the, all the while, you're growing. That's what it looks like to be an all-in person. Paul says in Romans 6, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Praise the Lord for his grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Maybe this song is coming true for you right now. Oh, I w- I've been blind this whole time. I've been totally compromising. I was just like David. I was just like Uzzah. I've been around in church for so long, but I compromise all the time. But thank God for his grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. The difference between someone who's all in And someone who's not is that an all-in person may fail sometimes, but sin is not their master. Someone who's not all-in is a slave to sin. And you know what? They probably don't even know it because they've bought the lie of our culture and they're out there living the life of moderation. They don't even know because our culture doesn't tell them. They're like, that's great. You want to have multiple wives? Go for it. You want to do this drug and that drug? Awesome. More power to you, you know? Nobody's standing up and saying, that's wrong, dude. That's leading you down a bad path. But they think it's the right path because sin is their master. They're a slave to sin. A little bit of everything is healthy. In their own eyes. There's no compromising when it comes to God's commands. And we need to stand up and own the influence that we have in our, in our world. People are watching. I want to close today by asking you this question. When you die, 
and hopefully it's a long, long time from now, I want to ask you, what do you think will be said at your funeral? I'm not trying to be dark or anything, but it's all it's going to happen to every one of us. What's going to be said? And the reason I ask, because as a pastor, I've attended a fair amount of funerals in my life, and I recently just attended a funeral where people come up, right? The pastor stands up here and says, would anybody like to share a story about the deceased or a memory or something like that? And so recently that happened, and this people came up, and they said good things about the deceased. They said stuff like, he was a really good brother. And he protected me, man. He was just a good brother. And another guy came up and he said, you know, he was my best friend. And we had so much fun together. I never had so much fun in my life. I'm really going to miss all the fun times we had. And you know what? Those are good things. You should be a good brother or sister. You should have fun with people. Nobody's going to say different than that. Those are good things. But the truth is they're not the best. They're not the best things that can be said at your funeral. So many times we just want to, as long as nobody says anything bad about me at my funeral, that's all I'm hoping for, right? Don't say I'm a bad person or I'm, I'm greedy or I'm angry or anything like that. Or he didn't have any friends. I don't want any bad things to be said at my, and that's, that's fine. But let's be honest, that's putting the bar kind of low. The best things that people can say about you are things like this. Myron followed God. Audrey was all in with Jesus Christ, right? Susie loved the Lord her God with all her heart. I mean, all of it. When everybody around her was compromising, she owned her influence. And you know what? Because of her life, she influenced me to follow Christ with everything I have, to go into that baptismal and say, with all my heart, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Those are the best things that somebody can say at your funeral. I pray those things are said about me when I die, hopefully many, many years from now. And I pray that for you. Here's what you need to know, though. What people say about you at your funeral is 100% dependent on what you do with your life. Not what somebody else does carrying the cart. Not what the pastor does and not what mommy and daddy do. It's 100% dependent on how you live your life. We need to be all in, church. We need to fear God again. We need to get in front of him as a holy, righteous, sovereign God and say, God, we surrender all to you. Who am I? I'm nobody. But because of your grace, you've washed me clean. You've forgiven me of my sins when I did not deserve it. I'm not going to compromise anymore. I'm not going to hold anything back. I want to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. And that's what I want for you today. Listen, I know I've talked to some of you. Uh, I see your faces in the crowd. And I know for those of you I haven't talked to you, I know it's true for you too, that there are people in here who I've asked personally, are you ready to give Jesus your life. Right up here at the end of service, I said, are you ready? Do you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior? And some of you have said, no, I'm not ready. And while that's really sad, it's fine because I could just say, well, let me just carry that cart for you. Let me just pray a prayer for you and then you'll go to heaven. But that's really the absolute worst thing I could do. It needs to come from you. You need to carry that yourself. You need to have that in your heart and say, 
Yeah, I really actually do want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, even though it's going to cost me a lot, even though I'm going to have to change living in moderation, and I'm going to have to be extreme about following him. I do want that. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. So I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and stand. And our prayer partners, if you could please come forward. Stand up here in the front. Go ahead and look at the people who are walking down the aisles. These are the people that um, are all in. And they want to pray with you. Again, their prayer really has no power over your life. But their agreement with your prayer has a ton of power. And you may not have the words to say. This may be new to you. And you say, like, that's great, Matt. I would love to be an extreme prayer person, but I have no idea what to say. And I'll be embarrassed and fumble over my words. And that's totally real. But these lovely people do have the words to say. They do know how to say it. And that can help you with that. And so if God has been tugging on your heart, you feel like I've been putting you back in your seat, like, oh my gosh, this is, this is my life. I am compromising. I'm living in moderation. This is the day to, to repent, to turn from that and say, Jesus, I want to be all in. And even if you're new to church, you don't know anything about what I've been saying, and you just want to give your life to Jesus, come on up. We would love to lead you in that prayer. Jake's going to sing a song that is phenomenal. This is the heart of the message. We're going to pray this song together. And while he's singing, I want you to come up. Pray with me. Pray with any of these people right here. And we'll lead you to Jesus. Go ahead. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.